Welcome to the God is Not an Asshole podcast. If you are one of the many people done with religious dogmatism, hang on. You might sense transcendence, but your church or other faith community never seem to get off the ground. You realize that honoring your conscience means more than fitting in and keeping hard to explain rules? Hang on. You could probably think of the goodness in your tradition, and you tried your best to save that baby, but there's so much bathwater. Join your hosts, David Norman Moore Jr. in California and Carrie Connolly in New Jersey, who are collaborating to bring on guests who have found life on the other side of fundamentalism. Guests with stories of how they have liberated themselves from beliefs that divide us from each other. None of our guests' narratives are identical, but we hope you'll find something in common with each of them. We invite you to experience our common bond as we all inspire even more of us to embrace the true self. You know, Matt, uh, a little bit ago, you mentioned uh, how we can learn from indigenous peoples uh, about disability. And I, I would just qualify that and say indigenous communities that have not been Christianized. Um, mm. And, you know, that applies not just to the Americas, but indigenous peoples everywhere, that they have a lot to speak to us about the environment and saving the earth. Yeah. And, um, but they also have a lot to say to us about being heteronormative. You know, I mean, to even have a term like two spirit to in some in some spaces to actually elevate and honor and regard people who are, you you know, who are in our society would be minoritized. Uh, What do you think about that? Yeah, Uh, well, to turn it back to the Jesus kind of narrative that we were trying to get to earlier, I think Jesus Mm -hmm. had he recognized the indigenous traditions in which he came from and how his family had separated from those traditions. And so being, he, he went and joined into the, he, he had a, a learning in what it meant to be indigenous early on in his life. And he went and joined the wilderness people, um, John the Baptist. And so I think he tried his hardest and Jesus did mess up. I'm not saying Jesus, I don't have, I mean, Jesus wasn't perfect. Oops. I'm a heretic. Um, and no, nope. in, in good company. Anyway. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so Jesus had a, a, a concept of what it meant to be indigenous. And so I work with this notion that the path of discipleship actually is a path of disability. So to be the path of discipleship is the path of disability, meaning that to understand the compassion, to understand uh, the term that are used is bodyfulness, as in a uh, contradiction to our mindfulness world. Um, bodyfulness that Jesus was trying to get us to come to, of coming home to our bodies through these oppressive systems and to be uh, collectively whole, to move to that restored place, that restorative um, practice, uh, ad- addressing these systems of power that are separating us from one another, is through the path of disability. And so, when we read the scriptures, I often use the story of Luke, um, starting in Luke 10. Um, it's where Jesus kind of sends out his disciples. I'll start there and start to de- dissect of where is disability in this story? When Jesus sends people out to the village and says, 
um, stay here and do not ask for um, for any particular food. Just eat what you're given. And that is, I come at it with a disability perspective saying people with disabilities can't walk into somebody's house and just start making food, uh, not because they're not welcomed to, but because they physically can't. They, they have things that are set up for their own homes because things are inaccessible. And so they have to eat what is put in front of them by somebody else. They don't have choice. And the same thing, um, only take one pair of shoes. You do not have the uh, physical energy to carry carry extra things with you because your body is taking right. tax already so much. And you, you like I cannot I cannot carry more. I, in one hand, I have a cane or a guide dog. In the other hand, I have a water bottle. So and I I can only carry so much in my pack. So the thing is, we have to start understanding that this path of discipleship that Jesus is trying to guide his his disciples through is a path of, hey, this is what it's like being disabled in this world. Um, he, and, mm-hmm. you know, go be like the disabled. Go be like the meek. Go be like, you know, like it is like you can inter- interject disability in each of those things in the uh, Sermon on the Mount there, in the Beatitudes. And so I love I, that. I, so and I think, I, yeah. sorry. No, as I say, just I, I, so, uh, that discipleship is, a, is the path of disability. Go be like the disabled. I think that it's really interesting that you say that because I, I think that Jesus was always learning how to be a better ally. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I, I just recently turned in an article for publication where I talk about the Samaritan woman and how he began to identify, and this was not my idea, this is part of the research that I discovered that somebody pointed out that he began to identify as a Samaritan. He had mm-hmm. been an ethnic other previously, right? So there are multiple ways that he he was changed by the people that he encountered yeah. um, to become a better in his mission, I think. Yeah. And the idea of intersectionality that you brought up earlier with disability, I, I, the one around Jesus growing in that is the one where the woman asked for her daughter to be healed. And Jesus mm-hmm. says, I do not give uh, food to the dogs or something like that. And then, yeah, crumbs. Or, yeah, yeah, crumbs to the dog, and and she's like, even even the dogs need the bread of life or something like that. And then he says, uh, mm-hmm. "Woman, go be healed, or your child is already healed, or something like that." I don't know. I don't. I'm not good mm-hmm. at memorizing exact scriptures. So, but in that, the woman corrects Jesus in not savagizing. Correct, yes. Like she, Jesus savagized her child. Like that savagized meaning turned the child into an animal, animal like figure. Um, it was ethnocentric. It was. And we don't often like to talk about that because Jesus has to be perfect. But Jesus, that was a form of decolonization for Jesus in that moment. And mm-hmm. her, her, the mom's love was granted at that moment because Jesus' eyes were opened. Um, sorry, I'm using kind of a blind metaphor there. But like to see <laughs> that there was like, whoa, this person knows more than I do and is point- pointing me towards a greater aspect of love. And so, yeah, that's that, um, that savage likeness is happens in our modern society. Um, something called the uh, mercy murder, and then all the way going oh. back to the 1800s, uh, 1860s, where I, I really um, know Irving Painter talks about it in this way, in the sense there was a great opportunity in the 1860s where indigenous people, um, black people, 
women in general and people with disabilities were all under an intersectional banner of dehumanized because women just in general were seen as um, second-class humans because of their emotional state. They were erratic. They were, um, and they were, they were called animal-like because of their uh, irrationality. You know, all those tropes that are used that we still hear to this day, they were dehumanized and not allowed to vote because they, they couldn't be seen as an intellectual and rational, you know, all those different types of things. And the same, so they were animalized just like they, people. They, they couldn't, couldn't be, be featured among the masters in Rolling Stone. Yes, yes. Exactly. Because, yeah. you and, know, uh, our minds just can't philosophize. Right. And so they're animalized just like indigenous people, just like black people, just like, you know, any, any other body that has been other, just like people with disabilities which is the foundation of eugenics, which is the foundation of genocide, which happened just two decades after that, where Christian nonprofits, Christian churches started the practice of eugenics. And um, mm -hmm. that's where we get our foundation uh, to um, sterilize and euthanize people with disabilities. Like that's, that's where it started, y'all. So when I started, because okay. genocide was happening yep. way before that, but like genocide of indigenous people all around the earth. But um, with uh, as far as when we talk about our eugenics program. Yeah. You know, earlier, Carrie mentioned um, John Winter, co-founder of Rolling Stone. And and, and by the way, um, that book that the publisher canceled it uh, after the. After, yeah, I am so happy right now. <laughs> but, you know, I when can't you were... wait to send a text to the person I was talking about that article with. OK, <laughs> so so I was, you know, I was thinking about that when you were talking. Uh, I reflected on Matt when when I was young. There was the thing. There was this thing called MTV. It was huge. It was, you know, <laughs> they had that when I was young yeah, too. Just, yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but MTV was all white. Yep, there was sway. And there was sway. I was just gonna say there was one black VJ. Yeah, it was sway. The person who broke through, who pushed them to make the change was Michael Jackson. Ooh. He was so huge that it they looked ridiculous ignoring him because he was like bigger than their whole industry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's pretty much what has to happen, I think, to crack through and you know, when there's when there's uh, patriarchy and white supremacy, this is this is where even though systemically people are excluded, they have to make sure they don't give up on doing their own thing. They, yeah. they, you know, women have to do their own thing. Queer folk have to do their own thing. And this is, you know, something that black people have been doing, you know, forever. Like, we'll just keep doing what we do. And, you know, as we do that, you, you have to recognize. Yeah. I'll, I'll just pivot that statement a little bit in that it's our success is not found in the incorporation into mtv our success is found in the doing it with our communities it's found in the growth of our community and that that is the way community is the way so if we're going to talk about how we do community it has to be starting with disability because they are the they're the easiest and and most often left out um, because people mm. don't know what to do with it. People are so scared about the disability conversation and so, so scared even when they do their, you know, social justice call outs of like, oh, I support the black and indigenous and, 
um, BIPOC community and the trans and LGBT community, they never say disability. 99.8% of the time, they don't say disability unless, I don't know, David Moore, don't have David, David Moore does, so I can't, I can't say it in this company. So, <laughs> um, like, it's, it's, it's so rare, and it leaves me feeling so isolated. And even in yeah. um, racial justice, national racial justice organizations that you and I are all familiar with, they do not want to touch disability. Because yeah. what it does is it changes their organizing model, where they can't just go get money and go make calls and you know, just uplift and create social media graphics. It, it means we have to actually build community. And there's no money in that. Mm -hmm. There's, there's nobody wants to fund that because that's where one, that's where our power is. And two, it takes time. And three, it, it, you, you can't measure heart growth. That's the thing, you know? So it's, it's <laughs> out of that system of objectivity again, that Paulo Freire, it, it, it's our subjective experience and that cannot be measured. So on a, on a much more philosophical existential level, I also wonder, I'm, and not to discount anything that you just said, I am 100% aligned with that. Um, and I also wonder if it's, there's an existential fear that we all have that unless we, you know, die a tragic sudden death, there, there will be a time when all of us will be Absolutely. disabled at yep. some point. Yep. Yep. And so right? people run from that In as some much way. as they can. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. We don't you know, face Matt, that uh, I have to give props. Uh, you you recognize me for not being among the people in religious community who who are you know committed to ableism, but a lot of that is because of the influence of people uh, like yourself in my life. So I have to I have to give credit to you, hmm. um, our friend Jacob Lesnar Buxton, yeah. who is just a badass. You know. Mm -hmm. and, you don't care what anybody think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this has been helpful over yeah, the years. There, there's a part in which we have to, people with disabilities aren't really able to put people's feet to the fire. There's not a mass movement for us. So there's not like a, we can't create that Michael Jackson moment. And so community is our only way. It is the only way we will survive. And one as people with disabilities, but I'm also saying that as an ex existential thing. So if we are to actually find a way to move forward, it's going to have to be through disability in an incorporation of understanding how race intersects with disability, how gender intersects with disability, how sexuality intersects with disability, how class intersects with disability. And we're going to have to start to reshape our ideas of community development around disability um, and the way we do community and be community. And that gets into our ideas of like mutual aid. That gets into our ideas of abolition. You know, uh, there's a beautiful book called Decarcerating Disability that I just said, it's, it really gives us a, an abolitionist perspective of how the state we live in, uh, the, the government, the society we live in is created around incarcerating the disabled body or keeping it incarcerated, whether it's in the mm. system or outside of the system, you know? And so there's se segregation still exists for people with disabilities. Like we are all, by all means, a hundred percent segregated. And um, whether it's in schools or communities or nonprofits or places you can go in society or where you can drink and how you can drink, like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's bad, you know? And yeah, it's, it's, it's very, so, so unequal. Point, here's, yeah. here's a rough question. Is there a point where that, and that segregation 
can benefit is is better for those communities so that they get what they need. And here's where I'm taking that from is the idea of, you know, I I know that sometimes so-called diverse spaces are great for white people, but not great for, you know, the Bill Pop community. So yeah. so can you talk, speak a little bit to that? Yeah. William Barity, who uh, famous reparationist that I follow, he's out of North Carolina, really challenges the idea of integration in the sense, Mm -hmm. what was the point of integration? To integrate Mm -hmm. into a dominant society of whiteness where all these values were not aligned like with ours. And he's like, he kind of, I wouldn't say he stands for this, but um, I'm not sure how bold position he takes on it. But he does question it of like, no, we need our separateness. and But what we need is the freedom to be empowered in that separateness and have the same opportunity within that separateness mm. to create our, to show the world how powerful we are and how our values are completely con- uh, in, in not alignment with this dominant system and how there is another way of living. And so, so we need to be able to have our greenwood you know, you know yeah. we need to be able yeah. to have our our community outside of Tulsa without it being attacked and firebombed and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. What? Really? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it, there and there are there are small communities, houses, apartment communities where people with disabilities have that opportunity. But there yes. are if, if you go and look for federal business grants for people with disabilities, there are none. If you look for um, disability leadership um, seminars or disability leadership, uh, disability scholarships, there are none. If you look for disability um, diversity hires, there are none. If you look for disability uh, welcoming uh, organizations or committees or um, small groups within the community to pass like uh, an association, there are none. You know, and so there are no ways sure. where disabled wealth has been able to be held or to be gathered around. And so we're, if not supported, and just like after the Civil War, the Freedmen's Bureau was created by, by Lincoln and later ended by uh, the, the asshole after him, um, Andrew Johnson. Johnson. Uh, and um, the Freedmen's Bureau was ended, but the Freedmen's Bureau created the bank where uh ex-enslaved people could hold their money and so we don't have that i mean yes we have mm-hmm. banks where i can go put money in but we don't have institutions where, that can hold our wealth i am limited to holding two thousand dollars of an asset that's it because i'm you know it's like social services i cannot have over two thousand dollars mm-hmm. and so that's gonna that's gonna perpetuate the cycle of poverty no matter who you are in this world like you can't even pay a month's rent with two thousand dollars these days you know and so okay. the ability to actually like have sustainability or maneuverability in society, like it's just going to keep us down in, in these little small areas and institutionalized. Yeah. You made me think of A.D. Barkin. Uh, oh, yeah. A.D. Barkin. Yeah. You know, who lives in who lives here. Yeah. Basically. And, you know, he's been fight. He has ALS and he's been fighting for disability health care mm-hmm. forever. And yeah. Uh, led a movement where they went into the Capitol building, all these folks in, in wheelchairs and, you know, all kinds of supports to, to, to talk to Congress people who to really before, before that, they were basically invisible. 
And so in some way, people with disability have to de-invisibilize themselves. And it would help if allies would contribute to that. And in that case, there were people who, you know, who were allies. And there are allies. How how do we how do we recruit allies for this? We have to come home to our bodies. Like if we, if we talk mm. about practices of embodiment, which is kind of becoming more popular these days, those practices need to be rooted in and led by people with disabilities. Like if if we're if we're trying to have you know BIPOC leaders teach us about race, if we're talking about mm. embodiment, we need to have people with disabilities doing that because Thank they you. know what it means to come home to the body. And we so I wake up every day and advocate for myself and my beauty um, and wake up and find myself as a beautiful aspect in this world and and advocate for myself in that way. And I need others to do the same thing. And I I know where this is the the God is not an asshole podcast. So I want to like turn a little bit to the the church perspective, but I hope people can kind of translate it to our to our community building in general, because the church is supposed to be a small microcosm of the greater we're supposed to be this liberatory imagination of what the world could be if they were to be to live in this idea of community. Mm. Um, and so if we were to really uh, understand the church as not not this like four walls in a building, but also that concept of the four walls in a building, what restrictions are in the way when we think about the way church is held, the way uh, are there stairs going into your church? Um, when you ask for scripture readings, are you reading out of the text? Is there a braille one? Um, is there what, like, what are you asking visually of people? Um, are you, when you ask for communion, do you ask people to walk down a narrow aisle, um, to go get the bread and the juice? Um, what, uh, baptism yeah. is, are you, do you have to climb into a pool? Maybe like, that's not accessible, you know? Or Matt, as we have been dealing with, is there public tra- uh, transportation? That that arrives at your location. Exactly. That's another one. Like, so the accessibility, and I often like to say accommodations are the bare minimum for institutions. Um, we all have understanding to grow in and be compassionate towards people and being accommodating is always great. Um, but as an institution, that is the bare minimum to create accommodations. Um, accommodations are not liberation. And so um in that in that in that vein though, when we think of the church as a microcosm. What is the church doing to create uh, wealth, to create community, to do community building as a tool for liberation, a tool for embodiment? When we pray, are we praying with our bodies or are we just praying a recited prayer? You know, how are we becoming, are our prayers just taught to be, to be in our head or as Abraham Jacob Heschel says, I pray with my feet, you know, and I know, I understand the ableist yeah. aspect with that of, you know, walking and not everybody can walk. So, but that idea of, of an embodied way of prayer, you know, and not everybody prays or meditates or is mindful. That doesn't work for everybody. So there's an ableist aspect in, in, concept, in contemplative practices as well, too. And the idea of uh, moving meditation where you are walking or surfing or just rolling on a bike and just like feeling the, the wind against your face and the sun just hitting you or sitting in the rain on a bench like just the how that grounds you in your body or the idea of walking and the rhythm in which you're walking and how it's going to your heartbeat and how that aligns you with who you are as a human that that meditation is what grounds you in this world and so the idea of bodyful practice bodyfulness like 
It is something that brings us back home. And when we do that and we recognize what keeps us from our own bodies, keeps us from our friends' bodies and keeps us from our neighbors' bodies and keeps us from um, seeing ourselves in our neighbor and the image of God in me, recognizing the image of God in you. And so when we come home to you, yeah. we recognize the systems and the, the things that keep each of us from one another, from being, from being whole community. So I, I, I really try to like, come at it from this church perspective, but the church is this greater metaphor of what we're trying to build here in the world. Even um, in church, the idea that there are often stairs that lead to the podium or the, yeah. the pulpit, yeah. right? Yeah, the same um, people which, can't teach. Which is just a, yeah, yeah there's no yeah. way for your voice to be <laughs> yeah. uplifted or, yeah, so mm-hmm. um, that's really important. But, and then the other, what you just said about um, coming home to our bodies and then coming home to our bodies of others, it's interesting. I just was paying attention to my body and it had a reaction there because the conversation around my body is so very often about ownership. Yep. Who owns my body as a woman, you know, in, yep. in society, who gets to decide what I do with it or what happens to it, how it's legislated, yeah. um, all of that. And I think um, there's some similarity with with the disabled, the quote disabled body, right? Or yep. the different disabled body. Yep. Um, that's the intersection with the decide. intersection with gender there, there because the the the, the bot they have a choice over our body, you know. So there's something that we can relate to with mm-hmm. one another about that. Yeah. So we're kind 100%. of uh, running out of time, but uh, I want to just go back one more time to, you know, the 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 quote unquote MTV moment and the you know compelling Michael Jackson compelling uh, change in policy, perhaps. You know, here we are looking at the 50th anniversary of hip hop. That might be the biggest example of people doing their own thing in their community and, you you know, demanding you look at what we are doing and its importance and validity, its relevance. But then there is the irony, Matt and Carrie, (laughs) there is the irony (laughs) of, especially in earlier hip hop, the the ableism and the misogyny. Uh, Um, It's still there, brother. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So so talk about that. Well, I just want to, I mean, I I love hip hop. I'm a student of hip hop. I just, it it does something to my spirit. So the, it's sad. that's what, that's what just came over me. It's sad. Uh, hip hop is beautiful, as as you mentioned in a uh, previous time, David. That hip hop it comes out of a- exilement, so they understand that they they get that. But even in the form of in, in exile, you start to find your own ways of having domination and to maintain your sense of self as a form of coping. And so, I, I think it, it's kind of like the. Uh, the uh willie lynch theory a little bit you know in a sense of like just to summarize that theory it's like the crabs in a bucket kind of thing of like somebody tries to get out but the crabs at the bottom are always going to pull the one trying to get out instead of letting somebody get liberated and so it's kind of like i have to feel good about myself by putting somebody else down kind of thing that kind of mentality and it's a separation from their body which is which is a coping mechanism i get it like the fight or flight and the, the 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 getting back to the parasympathetic state is what our bodies naturally want to do. And the way we make sense of that is to separate from our, to disassociate from our bodies and from each other. And so part of me, like I have the compassion and I, I 
still believe hip hop is a voice and a spirit and so beautiful. And I love uh, when disability is brought into hip hop, like by Leroy Moore or um, more, uh, one of the more famous ones is Brother Ali, who I quoted earlier today. Um, he, he, he famously says, I kind of took this a, a long while ago, but he's a, he says, I'm blind in the eyes, but I see with my heart. And all y'all look exactly the same, yeah. fear, faith, compassion, and pain. And um, so, I, you know, there's a part of the human experience that when we step into disability, we will all resonate with. And um, I think yeah. hip hop is just getting there. And it's, it's really beautiful. You know, there's people like Talib Kweli that are really stepping into that. Um, Erica Badu has been doing that for a long time. Um, Lauren Hill has been doing that for a long time. So, I mean, there's women MCs that have been doing it for, for, for days, like MC Light. Uh, I, I'd even put Beyonce in that category. That's, um, you know, so I think hip hop has a, a it's, it, hip hop is a teacher. It's a, it's a spirit. It's a teacher. Yeah. It's a voice. It's a culture. It's, it's a way of being. Um, it's not just rapping. It's, it's, it's the MC. Mm. It's the graffiti. It's the break dance. It's the beats, you know? It's, it's the, um, breaking the status quo. Um, it's, it's the organic intellectuals, you know? It's the way of, um, going against the systems of power and, uh, and creating alternative new ways. And, and something that I resonate with that is part of hip hop culture as a disabled person is making a way out of no way. And I think that's something that we can all learn from in society, from hip hop and disability. So I was in a class um, before we, we end and we find out how people can, can find your work and connect with you. But um, I was in a class called The Theological Ethics of, of uh, James Cone. Hey. And any of my friends who are listening, they, they know exactly where I'm going with this yeah. because this has been a thing I've been obsessed with ever since. Because in that class, we were having a conversation around hip hop and somebody brought up this idea of sacred profanity. And I, today, <laughs> I cannot yes. remember, I cannot remember like where it, who it came from, what the source was or anything. So if anybody out there in the world knows, please help me find it. Um, but this idea of sacred profanity is, is that hip hop is not in and of itself profane, but rather it is pointing to the profanity of life and saying, God is there. God is with us in the profanity and that, and thus renders it sacred. Yep. And I think thought that was so beautiful. Yep. And um, it changed the way I hear those lyrics that would previously have deeply offended me because of their misogyny or violence or whatever, you know? Um, and uh, so I've really tried to in embody that myself. Yeah. And I think just to connect it back to disability too, like people find disability profane. And that's why they, they mm -hmm. run from it. You know, they, they, they get so uncomfortable when I bring up disability or even in the presence of somebody disabled, which is why people with disabilities feel like they have to hide themselves, you know, like you have to minimize your presence, you know, you have to make sure you're not seen um, because disability is seen as profane to people. And um, it, mm -hmm. uh, people run from the profane because, oh, it could, that's the thing that cannot be mentioned. It's, it, and it's just rooted in, in white supremacy and this staunchiness, this like, Again, objectivity, going back to Paulo Freire from the beginning. And, um, you know, we have a lot to heal and, and need people to ask the, yeah. the restorative question of what is the next greatest step of healing? I love it. So how can people find your work and connect with you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I got a website called changemakermat.com. I'm on the Instagrams and the Facebooks and all the, all the socials, the Twitters. 
Um, actually, it's not called Twitter anymore, huh? Um, and it's at, no, at, I don't even know what it's called. Matt, and I think it's called X or something. So, yeah, anyways, whatever. Okay. So, yeah, that tool. <laughs> um, and awesome. let's see, I have a podcast coming out. Um, actually, it's already out. It's called The Change Maker Podcast by Matthew Lowe. And um, it's it's on uh, the, the Apple's and the, I'm not sure if it's on Spotify. I'd have to check that. But it's on um, Amazon Music and stuff. It's going to be relaunched is what I was trying to get to in the next couple of months here. So I have a you know, stockpile of some episodes. Uh, your boy David Moore is on there. And um, yeah, I got some, got some cool people on there just interviewing change makers about what it means to make change in this world. And, you know, that Mahatma Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see. Just kind of the leadership tools of, of people out there making social change because we don't have enough of that, of, of highlighting leaders and the, yeah. the, the tips and tricks of how we actually make change. There's a lot of people of like how we do it in business or life or, you know, doing life coaching and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But how do we do that in social change? So, uh, yeah, just love it. Love connecting people in uh and empowering them and making social change and social impact and starting a social impact business platform so people interested in doing business and along with social change and impact let's connect uh, yeah uh, disability healing right. men race reparations let's go hey dude we Lots didn't even get stuff. to that and that's your thing <laughs> i know right hey part yeah. two yeah. <laughs> Well, Matt, it was such a pleasure to meet you. I'm so glad to uh, have had this conversation with you. Thank you. Yeah, Matt great. and I uh, later today are having a conversation with uh, some people from uh, Antioch University campuses who are having us talk about reparations to people across their network. Amazing. Yeah. So again, for, for me, Very my cool. work starts with the church with that, you know, because yeah. um, yeah. they're the ones that that was the first excuse for enslavement on this land um the first excuse for for genocide so just a that little tidbit but yeah that's a whole other episode as dr gray says to the next episode (laughs) yes (laughs) all right guys right thank you so much all right sign off (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for being here today we are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it Maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell and we want to know about it. Please contact us on Twitter at God is not an asshole or text 805-703-8393 because the world needs to know that God is not an asshole.